I'm Colleen Cowie, and you're listening to the Pass the Mic podcast, a podcast dedicated to amplifying female, trans, and non-binary voices in music. This week, I'm joined by Elise Okusami, singer, songwriter, and arranger for the band Oceanator. Today, Oceanator is releasing their debut full-length album, Things I Never Said. In many ways, it seems like this album was written about this particular moment in time. Songs like A Crack in the World or the one you just heard, I Would Find You, have an end-of-the-world energy that could easily be talking about the coronavirus pandemic, the pandemic of police brutality and racism, or the economic crisis that the U.S. is facing, just to name a few things. But Elise wrote these songs years ago. She says that she's always been a little bit of a doomsday person. But despite the album's apocalyptic themes, it also finds solace in relationships and catharsis in 90s-inspired alternative rock. I talked with Elise about how the album came together, its adorable merch, and how her experience as a multi-instrumentalist influences her songwriting process. Keep listening to hear our full conversation. All right. Welcome, Elise, to the Pass the Mic podcast. How's it going? Yeah, it's uh, it's going all right. How are you doing? Doing pretty well. It's kind of a gloomy day here in Minneapolis, but trying to keep my energy up. Oh, yeah. It's it's hard when it's all cloudy, but you can find, like, indoor tasks to do sometimes helps me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Where am I calling you from? Are you in New York? Yep, I'm in Brooklyn. Um, it's sunny today, which is nice. It was supposed to rain, but changed his mind, I guess. <laughs> nice. Awesome. So I know you have an album coming out in about two weeks now. Um, your first full-length album as Oceanator, Things I Never Said. So congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm very excited. Yeah. How does it feel to be releasing this album now? I know it must be kind of a weird time to be coming out with new music. Yeah, it feels weird. You know, um, generally right now would be gearing up to go on tour or already on tour. Um, so it's it's weird to just be doing all of this from my apartment and kind of living in a very online world right now, which is not a place I like very much in general. Mm-hmm. Um but it definitely feels like you, that's the only place you can really interact with anyone right now. Um, so mm-hmm. been just doing a ton of posting and playing live streams and just kind of like keep a sense of community going as much as I can. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. How have live streams been? I know I've enjoyed seeing some live stream concerts, but it's definitely a very different feel than being in a room with other people obviously how's that experience been for you yeah it's it started off when i first started doing them back in march i didn't like it that much it felt really awkward and you know you're just playing to a screen and uh you have no idea if people are paying any attention or whatever having a nice time um Mm -hmm. but i don't know i kind of got used to it and feel a lot more comfortable doing it now. It doesn't feel as as off-putting, I guess. And I think a fun thing for me, both when I'm playing them or when I'm when I'm watching someone else's, is is how much is going on in the chat a lot of the time. Um, mm-hmm. Like people are talking to each other, and or the, like maybe not even about whatever you're doing on on screen, whatever song you're playing. Like they mentioned that and they'll talk about that, but they'll also have these side conversations and 
like people like I've made a couple friends in the chats, you know, of these things and uh mm-hmm. it's it's much I like that a lot about it. it. It's like as close as you can get to feeling like you're at a show right now. Mm-hmm. Um so hanging out in the in the chat and seeing people hanging out in the chat has been has been one of the pluses of it, I think. Yeah. That's cool. That's sounds like one of the nice ways to kind of connect with people a little bit more and maybe even more in one way than, you know, if you were at a live show, you wouldn't necessarily get to listen in on all those conversations that people are having in the crowd or, you know, connect with them in that way. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's definitely not. So I mean, like, you know, I've played my fair share of solo shows where people are having conversations in the crowd and I can't <laughs> hear what they're saying. And, and that's, that's terrible, you know, but mm-hmm. uh, ha- having this on the live stream is cool. It's like the only time I, I'm, I don't care if people are talking during my set or whoever said I'm watching or whatever because you can just not look at it if you don't want to you know mm-hmm. yeah exactly not disruptive in the same way mm-hmm. yeah yeah so I know yeah you have experience playing solo shows like you said um, and playing various instruments in a band um, so I wanted to hear a little bit about how you got started making music as Oceanator. I know you have played many instruments and kind of started out drumming in a lot of bands. Um, So what was that transition like? Um, I guess, well, to backtrack a little bit, um, when did you first start playing music and then how did Oceanator become a project? Um, Yeah, I first started playing music when I was, well, I started playing the guitar when I was nine. and started my first band with my brother and some other friends. Nine or ten, fourth grade, whatever age we were then. I think it was around nine or ten. So I've been doing it for a while. Um, played in a couple bands in high school. Played in a thrash punk band and played just like in that same band I was just talking about that we started in fourth grade. We played all the way through senior year of high school. And uh, yeah, just played mostly guitar in that one. And then the thrash punk, I played drums and bass and guitar. I was like the sixth. It was a five-piece band, and I was a sixth person, and because they always were missing someone, and I was always available to to do something. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's what it started, and and I, uh, you know, I've been writing songs the whole time, and I moved to New York, and I was doing like kind of a solo acoustic-y thing, and then I just kind of stopped doing it because I was working a ton to be able to afford to live in New York, um, and. Uh, yeah, some friends needed a drummer, and then some more friends needed a drummer. Pretty much everyone always needs a drummer. Um, so that's why I ended up playing drums in so many bands. Is like There was just a lot of opportunity to do it, and that kind of brought me back into playing shows again, finally. And, and I was I had been writing the whole time, and I kind of just was like, okay, I'd like to do my own project again, but I think I want to do it like under a band name and have it be a little more like cohesive I guess kind of um Mm -hmm. and uh yeah so that's when our Oceanator started I think the first show was in 2016 and I just did one and then um just kind of been doing it this whole time and trying to balance my time as best I can to to do as many musical projects as possible because I just it's the best thing (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah for sure 
It sounds like you have a ton of experience playing drums, playing a bunch of instruments, and also writing your own songs. Um, do you feel like your experience as a drummer or kind of as a multi-instrumentalist in all of these other bands um, influenced your songwriting or the way that you play music in Oceanator? Yeah, I think um, I think being a multi... I think just in general playing with other people builds your musicianship and your songwriting skills just in general, like no matter what level or whatever it is, like the experience of playing with people is important. Um, and, and, you know, you're going to take stuff from each other without even realizing it probably, and, or just like little ideas or ways of thinking about things or being able to talk about music in a certain way. Um, so I definitely think, yeah, playing with a ton of different people has certainly influenced me and also um, playing drums with so many people I think helped me kind of be like I know exactly like when I'm writing a song I'm kind of I can think about the whole thing and I think it's it's helped me to be able to play to the song more as opposed to just kind of playing what like I can do this thing so I'm going to do it um, I think just playing with other people and, and playing their music and is, is, you know, you don't want to overshadow what they've written. You want to play something that fits with that, that song. So I think it's helped in that way. And it's also helped me like, I've like been like played a bunch of styles that I probably wouldn't have otherwise gotten it like played, um, you know, it's like stuff I listened to, but I never like really played. So that kind of, you know, loosens up your, brain muscles, I guess, to mm -hmm. think about other stuff. Yeah, totally. That's cool, because, yeah, when you're playing in someone else's band, um, maybe, you know, they'll bring in a song and you have to kind of figure out, okay, what instrumental part can I create that will complement this song or the lyrics that they've written? And then when you're writing your own songs in Oceanator, it sounds like maybe you can kind of do that process too, even if you just start with writing a guitar part or lyrics or whatever, you can kind of envision, oh, this is how I want everything else to kind of fall around it. Totally, yeah, and I think... I think that was what was helpful with, you know, starting, like I got to get started on that early. I got to get started on that kind of in high school and, and just have built, have gotten a lot of experience since then getting to like build up that, that part of my, well, that skill, I guess. And, and so I think it's been super helpful. When you write songs for Oceanator, is there a certain way that they usually start, whether it's with lyrics or an instrumental, or does it kind of depend song to song? Um, it depends song to song, but generally it's it's music first. Lyrics are almost always the last thing I do. Um, so generally it's uh, either a guitar or a bass sort of thing. Um, on the new record, the like I Would Find You, which was the second single, that one was, was synth first. That whole synth line came out first, and then then the bass and then the guitar was like the last thing but that's that's it's usually a guitar thing that I start with just because that's my main instrument um and then yeah kind of build it around there usually it kind of it just kind of comes like if once I've got the chords or whatever or like maybe I'll have a melody first and build the chords behind it and it just kind of comes out just kind of the song tells you what it wants to do you know and mm -hmm. then 
sometimes like a lyrics will like pop up, like a, a word or two will pop up. I'll have like a certain feeling and I'll write around that. Um, is usually how it happened. Uh, but yeah, lyrics are, lyrics are almost always last. And sometimes they're like, I don't even finish them until the night before they're the last thing we have to do. <laughs> to wow. The record, so. <laughs> That's impressive. Well, by that point, like they're usually they're they're there, but they're not ready. You know, and they're like mm-hmm. a draft; they're not finalized. So yeah, got it. Yeah, yeah. I love that song that you brought up. Um, I would find you from this new record. Um, I love that synth line. I think that makes the song stand out so much to me. Um, because there's a lot of different kind of musical influences on this record. There's a lot of kind of 90s alternative and like grunge feelings that I get from like the distorted guitars and there's kind of a heavy sound to a lot of the songs on this record. Um, But I love that song, I Would Find You, that it has this kind of really poppy, bright, upbeat synth line. Are there any specific like influences that you had when you were writing this record in terms of music and the instruments? Yeah, I'd say that one was was influenced a lot by uh, like Future Islands and Twin Shadow. Um, Mm -hmm. I was listening to, when I wrote that song, I was listening to a lot of those guys. Um, it, It was originally started as kind of like a a song to uh, some specific people and they were really into into those bands too and that style of music so I was trying to make something that would was something that they would like you know because it was like for them mm-hmm. um so yeah I'd say those were probably the two the two main direct influences for that for that one mm-hmm. nice that's really sweet. Yeah, it's like a little letter to a friend or someone in your life. And that's really sweet that it's like a musical shout out as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to ask you too about some of the themes on this record, um, because I think it sounds very much like a record that was made for this current moment. Um, it talks a lot about kind of the end of the world, whether that's metaphorical or real. Um And I think, you know, a lot of people are kind of feeling that way right now, um, especially with the pandemic and everything that's been going on. Um, But when did you actually write some of the songs on this record? And what was influencing kind of that like doomsday end of the world vibe? Yeah, I think I've always been a little bit of a doomsday end of the world person. Like the more (laughs) I've the more I've talked about this record and thought about it, the more I've kind of been realizing that. Um, Mm, all the record was recorded in 2018, um, so obviously everything was written before that. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't pandemic related. Uh, I would find you was actually written in 2012. Um, wow! And uh, so was the sky is falling. Those were written right around the same time. That's uh, the second to last track on the record. Um, and uh, everything else was was closer to. Let's see. I think everything else was like 2017, 2000, early 2018, I think. Um, the last song written was January 21st, which was written on January 21st, 2018, <laughs> which is why it's called mm-hmm. that. Because I couldn't think of a name and then I just left it. That was a demo name. You know, there's always something terrible going on, so I think it's pretty easy to kind of latch on to terrible stuff. Um, and I'm I'm very good at, unfortunately, very good at seeing all the bad things and, and catastrophizing as as the therapist would call it. Um, 
So, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's just that's just always something I've, I've been drawn to in like mm-hmm. fiction and thoughts and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's definitely a relatable feeling. Um, I think even before this time, it is very easy to just jump to the worst case scenario and say, oh, this bad thing happened, like everything is doomed. Yep. I can totally relate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a stressful way to, to be, huh? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. There's like a low level anxiety just all the time. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Have these songs kind of changed in meaning since, I know it's been many years in some cases since these songs were written. Um, has their meaning changed at all for you listening to them or kind of thinking about them now? Um, not too much. I'd say, I'd say it's kind of weird listening to them now just because of how, especially like, yeah, like you said, like in this moment, how much they seem like they're for right now. Um, so that's weird for even, for even me to, to listen to and think about. I was, I was playing a live stream and I played a crack in the world and like in the middle of, this was like a month or something ago. And in the middle of this playing the song on the stream, I was like, Oh, this is weird. Like this is literally <laughs> like I could have written this today. Um, thematically. Um, so in that way, I guess they've changed a little bit, but in their, like a, their general overall original meaning, I think they're all, they're all pretty similar. Maybe like, I would find you seems a little less of a hypothetical situation, you know, like when I, when mm-hmm. I wrote it, it was more like if this far fetched thing happens, blah, blah, blah. But now it feels more like I'm very serious. Like if this happens, which seems like it's coming, you know, um, mm-hmm. but other the, like the big overall general things, I think that it's pretty much the, it doesn't feel too changed for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's cool, too, because everyone can kind of put their own interpretation onto these songs. And, you know, there are probably going to be people who listen to these songs and don't know when they were written and think, oh, this relates totally to how I'm feeling right now. Um, But that's cool because both of those things can exist at once, kind of people's interpretations and how you were feeling when you wrote them in the moment. Totally, totally. And I, I, I know I've, I've hesitated in the past to like say too, too much about specifically what songs are about for exactly that reason is I, I want people to be able to interpret it, interpret them in a, in a way that makes sense for them and the way that they connect to it because that's something that I've always appreciated and enjoyed in listening to music is, is finding something to connect to even if it's not, you know, exactly exactly the exact same situation that the, the songwriter was writing about, you know, it's broad enough that we can we can it can connect to your feelings still mm-hmm. yeah definitely yeah i think that makes it a lot more interesting to have all of those different interpretations yeah mm-hmm. totally. yeah i love i think there's a really strong kind of concept lyrically throughout this album you know like we've said there's a lot of these themes about kind of the end of the world and also like finding strength in relationships and the important people in your life Um, But I think there are some really cool kind of musical themes on this album as well. I know when I was listening to it, um, one of the things that kind of stood out to me was how much space there is and how there's these kind of really big, dramatic, or in some cases really subtle 
instrumental sections on the record. Mm-hmm. Um, was that something that you thought about consciously, kind of having these really big guitar solos and kind of expansive instrumental sections, or did that happen kind of more spontaneously um, in specific songs? I think it kind of it, it kind of happens for the songs themselves more spontaneously. Um, it's something that I in, enjoy, <laughs> it, obviously, in a song, mm-hmm. you know, when there is a big kind of section where you can just kind of really sink into it and just kind of feel it. Um, so it definitely happened, like, as the songwriting was going for each song, just kind of organically. But when I was putting the record together, um, the reason that these nine songs are together on the sound is because I think they they are thematically um, related, both lyrically and musically. Um, and it's important to me. I like to put together an album. You know, it's not just like, here's a collection of songs that I've been writing it's like here's a collection of songs that I've been writing that all fit together as one cohesive um, piece. So yeah, definitely, mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't on purpose as I was writing them, but as I was making it into an album, album that was it was on purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. I think that cohesion definitely comes through in the finished product. And what was the process like of recording this album? I know you played a lot of the instruments on it um, and had some help from other people. Um, how did you record most of the songs on this album? Um, so of, of the of the nine songs, the five of them we did at uh, Wonder Park Studios in Brooklyn, which is owned by my friends Eva and Chris. Uh, and Eva also plays bass on those five songs. So that's uh, the first three, and then Heartbeat and uh, Walk With You, the, like, sock hop one. Um, <laughs> and uh, so those we recorded, we recorded live all together. Um, so we were all in the room together, drums and bass was directed, and we reamped it later, and then the guitar amp was, like, down the hall. <laughs> um, and we just And we just played them. A couple times, I walk with you is actually that's the that's the first take, and we started to do a second one. And we're like, why are we doing this? The first one was fine, <laughs> like it was good, <laughs> it, the energy was good. So yeah, we just did it. We played those through a couple times until we had a take that we felt like had good energy, and you know, there's, um, it just felt like a good. It was good. It was a good take. So we did five like that, and then those I went back in and later did the vocals and more guitars and, and the synth or whatever was added onto those. Um, and then the other ones were all recorded like instrument by instrument um, because like January 21st and um, the sky is falling, I played everything on. So obviously <laughs> I had to do that separately. Um, mm-hmm. And then I would find you, I played everything except the drums. So that was also recorded kind of layered up. And those were done at my brother's studio in Maryland. Um, and then he mixed the whole thing, and uh, we sent it off to be mastered. And yeah. Mhm. Nice. Yeah, that's cool that you kind of got a mix of recording live with other people, and then also tracking individually and doing kind of most of the instruments yourself. Yeah, it was really fun. It was, and it's cool to. Um, I like Andrew Whitehurst, who's been my touring drummer for the last year, uh, plays on four of the songs on the record, also. And then Aaron Silverstein plays on one who has also toured with me in the past. Um, and they're both fantastic drummers. So it was it was fun to get to like 
to get to play with them and just kind of be like, okay, here's like the general. And I sent Andrew a couple, like, <laughs> I, cause I don't have a drum kit I can play in my apartment. So I recorded these like very bare bones, just here's the feel of the song, like thing on my, on my MIDI keyboard and sent it to him. And then to get to come into the studio and hear like how he's like made it, he's like takes that, but makes it like a, a like a full thing was, was cool. I like to, I figure like when I'm playing with someone else, if I'm going to ask someone else to record on my song, I'm going to give them the space to, to play in their style, you know, and, and have some mm-hmm. input on it. Otherwise, like I would just, I would just play it. Just, I would do it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if I'm not going to let them have their, like have the, put their own signature style on it. Cause yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I bet that's really fun. You can, you know, when you have something specific in mind, maybe, you know, you have the capability to go in and do it yourself, but you can also, you know, have other people's input and say, okay, here's my basic idea, but go for it. Create what you want to create. Yeah, exactly. It's It's been really fun. And Andrew and Eva and Aaron were all like super great to work with. And, and you know, they had their own great ideas and Pretty, there was rarely a time where I was like, actually, can you not do that there or, or whatever? Like that didn't really happen that much. But when it did, where I was like, I really want this specific thing here. Like that's important to me. They they were like, great. Like you know, they were just they were just on it, and it was uh, it was really great working working with all three of them. Mhm. Nice. I know you're also releasing this album on your own record label, Plastic Miracles. Mhm. Um, how did that record label get started? Um, it was something I've been wanting to do for a while. I, I had planned, well, I wanted to do it since I was like a little small, small kid and just was like obsessed with all things Green Day and thought Lookout Records was like the coolest thing ever to exist. <laughs> um, so I like, so I had vague ideas of wanting to do it, but about, about maybe a year and a half, maybe two years at this point, I, I was like, I'm, I'm going to do it now. This is time. And I started like, getting the name together and originally it was going to be with a friend who lived out in LA. We were going to do it together and we had this idea of turning their like little garage um, into like a place where we could have art and music and little local, just bring a bunch of local artists and musicians together. Like every once in a while, it's like a little label party, which is still something I want to do, but we won't have like a home location for it anymore. Um, But they moved out of the country. So, I ended up starting it on my own and it wasn't, the plan wasn't to put out my records. The plan was to put out other people's records. And then um, my record ended up not coming out on the label it was originally going to and was going to self-release. And then was like, well, I'm starting this label anyway, so I might as well like put it on the label instead of just have it be just floating out there or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, that's how it that's how it started. It was just kind of I wanted a project. I wanted to help other people with their music and share other people's music and just do what I can to, you know, be a part of the community and, and interact with folks. Mhm. Yeah, for sure. How is it different releasing your record or releasing music on? another label versus releasing it on your own label. I know you probably have a lot more control when you're releasing it on your own label. Um, so how has that process been for you? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I only had ever before this release um, on the one other label and, and that was cool. You know, they, they 
were pretty flexible and, and, and let artistic do whatever I wanted and pick the singles and all that stuff. Um, but now I also have to do all the back end stuff, which is like, um, fine, you know, but it's just a bunch of extra, extra stuff. So this, this release cycle, I guess, has been a lot more like intensive for me, just kind of making sure I'm on top of things and I've learned a bunch of bunch of new stuff that's pretty cool um and trying to figure out like distribution and all that um they have like actual distribution and I don't I haven't figured that out yet fully but I, I've talked to some individual people about doing it which is cool um so yeah it's been mm-hmm. I mean I have a manager who's been helping me out and I have uh um, I'm working with Riot Act Media Lori over there who's been really really awesome um I guess you, you all talked uh yeah, yeah, super glad that she connected us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's she's great. Um, it's been so that's been super helpful because uh, doing all of this and then also being so sad because <laughs> of the pandemic and everything mm-hmm. uh, would have been pretty hard. But um, yeah, it's cool. And then and now and Big Scary Monsters picked it up for UK Europe distribution, which is um, they're putting it out on on their label out the, over there, and that's wild because i really like them a lot and uh i'm really stoked to like be working with them Mm -hmm. that's awesome yeah Yeah, it seems like a lot of work too like you were saying to plan all of the logistics of an album release and i know you have a lot of different components going into this release you have cassettes and vinyl Mm mm-hmm Nice. And I know there's also a lot of really awesome merch that you have planned for this release, too. I've been looking at it online, and I'm very <laughs> excited about all of the tank tops and the yeah. Penguin drink cozies and all the postcards. Super adorable merch. Yeah, I'm I'm so happy with how everything came out. I worked with some really great artists um, who just absolutely, absolutely killed it. Um, the postcards, too. I, I, I found Cameron on... I don't know if you saw that spreadsheet that was going around back in, I think, June. That was like a list of, like a ridiculously long list of black artists. And I was mm-hmm. just clicking through there and found Cameron's website. And I was like, this is so good. And sent an email just being like, do you want to draw three postcards for me? You can draw whatever you want. <laughs> and then got these back and it was just like, they're so perfect. I put them up on my wall. I love them so much. So, yeah, it's been really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of the merch for this drop is amazing. I'm so excited about it. Um, I also saw the Pogs and originally was a little bit confused because although I guess I was born in the late 90s, did not really remember exactly what they are. Um, Would you mind giving a quick refresher for those who don't know what a Pog is? Sure, yeah. It's a little round piece of cardboard and um, it's is a game, basically. I don't actually know if anyone ever played the game. I never played the game. I just collected the pogs and so did all my friends. But they're just, it's a little, it's a little cardboard circle and they've got designs on them. You can get all kinds of ones. My friend actually might have just bought me some really old Michael Jordan ones that they found on Facebook Marketplace. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you collect them. There's a print on one side usually and then you have a thing called a slammer, which could be made out of plastic or metal and the heavier, the better. And you you pile up all the pogs in a stack, like you and whoever you're playing with, and then you slam them with the slammer, 
and they all go flying, and all the ones that are face up, you get to keep. Um, <laughs> so that's that's how you play the game, um, and it's like high stakes because what if you lose your special collectible pog or whatever? Um, nice. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's what they are. It was a big thing for, um, I think probably you're yeah. If you're in the late '90s, I think you missed it, but um, mm-hmm. you know, they're fine. Nice. Well, maybe they're making a comeback, and maybe this is going to be my introduction to the Pog world. Yeah, you can you can uh, you can start hitting up other people and trying to start Pog leagues or something. Yeah, it could be like a big thing within the music community if everyone starts making Pogs. Yeah, it'll be a thing. <laughs> it'll have like it'll be like the new baseball cards for yeah. indie rock. <laughs> I'm so into it. <laughs> Well, are there any other ways that you've been kind of connecting with people during quarantine? I know that your album talks a lot about, you know, relationships and how having these friendships and just relationships in general in your life have been important. Um, Are there any ways that you've been kind of connecting with people these days, even while it's been a little bit more difficult? Yeah, I've I've gotten much more into FaceTiming. I used to hate it, and now I FaceTime people all the time, probably maybe too much for for their liking. But, uh, yeah, I've been doing a lot of that, and then uh, me and Tony and Andrew, who are are in the touring band currently, uh, we occasionally have Zoom nights where we play Sparkle, which is a dice game that we play on tour all the time. So we'll, we'll get together and do that and, like, have a beer and pretend that we're at the merch table hanging out after our show. Um, Yeah, but it's mostly been that. I've seen, like, two friends or three friends. We've gone for for walks and stuff, like outdoor safe activities. But mostly it's over the internet Mm -hmm. Um, and on the phone. So just I sent some letters. I've been sending letters. That's been fun, too. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely required a lot more creativity these days to keep in touch, but I love that you're still keeping some of the tour traditions alive. <laughs> yeah, that one's that's a fun one. We're actually due, I should hit them up, we're due for a sparkle. Sparkle game. Nice. Yeah, I know one of the songs on your album, too, the last track, actually, Sunshine, um, kind of talks about how it's important to, like, check in with yourself or, like, you sing on the song, I'm okay on my own. Um, which is also super important. And I think a lot of people have also been kind of checking in with themselves more in this time. I know I've been like doing a lot more reflecting these days and picking up some new hobbies. Um, So are there any other ways that you've been kind of connecting or checking in with yourself recently? Um, I've actually been doing like a fairly bad job of that very recently, I think. Um, Kind of got, kind of got pulled out of it, but I was, I was trying to, I guess I've been trying to, I was starting meditation again and um, I was taking time like every evening for a little while I would go out on my fire escape and just like sit and either read or like listen to music but just try and chill and like disconnect and and just be alone, (laughs) like, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. and and working out and doing yoga and all that stuff. Um, Just trying to keep the serotonin levels up um mm-hmm. but uh yeah i've definitely it's definitely fallen 
I need to get back. I need to get back and doing that. One thing I have been doing is putting on that Nandi song, I'm okay, or it's okay, I mean. Um, mm-hmm. And that what that helps, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it is okay. I don't, if, if anyone doesn't know the song, you don't have to pretend you're okay when you're not. Um, it's a good song. Mm-hmm. For <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's awesome. I know, yeah, I've also been struggling it's really hard to keep up I definitely go through phases where I'm really on top of it and I'm like I'm gonna exercise every day and then you know that happens for a week and then the next couple weeks nothing so (laughs) it's really hard (laughs) yeah it's it's frustrating and I also have a bunch of lingering tendonitis and stuff that loves to flare up from my old sporting days so like sometimes I'll get really into I'm like okay it's time and then something will be like no too bad time to rest mm-hmm. again so that always it, like bums me out and makes me stop doing it so it's like even worse <laughs> yeah it's hard to keep up with for sure yeah well so I like to end kind of wrap up my podcast episodes by asking my guests to give a shout out to someone um, this could be someone who you know personally or anyone who you don't know who you look up to um, just anyone who you think needs a little shout out today. Oh man, I should have prepared. What a great, <laughs> what a great thing. I'm going to give a shout out to my friend Gretchen, who used to do merch and, um, for a bunch of bands on tour and now works for the Glow Management in, um, Durham, North Carolina, or maybe they're in, in Raleigh or something, but in North Carolina. Um, who's been a great sounding board for all things about the album and about if my outfits look okay uh, and if my plants look like they're dying or not and (laughs) answers my FaceTime calls and is super supportive and great and nice. Um, Shout out to Gretchen for being a, a great human. Well, thank you so much, Elise, for taking some time to chat with me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Things I Never Said is out today on Plastic Miracles. You can find the album and all of its amazing merch at oceanator.bandcamp.com. The Pass the Mic podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Podbean. And you can keep up with everything past the mic at pass-the-mic.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. I don't know this time that we'll be fine. Because I can't help but feel all right when you're by my side. See you smile